office, and it is good to be with you. I wasn't able to be with you last month, and I have missed you guys. It's good to be here. You look great. Look at your neighbor and say, I've never seen you look so great. <laughs> but I am glad to be here. Even though I haven't been here, I have kept in touch with, with what's going on, and there's been a lot of great stuff happening out here, and I am just so thankful to God and Grateful to the leadership of Pastor Jeremy, our campus pastor here, and his wife, Corey, to all of our leadership team, our serving teams. It's because of you folks that we're able every week to come here and experience the presence of God like we do. And I'm just so thankful for you and just grateful to be a part of this. And I tell you what, you're hard-pressed to find any better music than what you've heard here this morning or any church in this area. I'm biased, I know, but it's they're amazing, talented folks. And I am here this morning to share with you in the series that uh, Pastor Jeremy and began here, and we began at the Merida campus a couple of weeks ago, entitled Flip Side. And if you happen to have a Bible, either in leather-bound or on an electronic device, whichever way you have it, if you want to turn with me, please, to Luke. Luke is the third gospel of the New Testament. It's the third book of the New Testament. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at uh, the story of Simon Peter in a particular situation where he has been fishing all night, and he caught nothing. And uh, he has put his boats on shore, he has cleaned the nets, he's about to call it a day, and then Jesus Christ comes walking along, and he wants to teach, and he gets in Simon Peter's boat, and he says, let's go out, and I want you to put out the nets. And Simon Peter's reluctant against this, and he's resistant, but he does it. And in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, we pick up the story. It says this, When they had done so, when they had gone out to catch fish, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. The opportunity to be here, the opportunity to share your word, the opportunity to share in your presence. Just the opportunity, God, that we have just to come and connect with you. Father, help us not to take this for granted. I I thank you for your presence that's with us now. and, and, And Lord, I ask you to help me to share the truths you want shared here this morning, that it changes all of us. It touches all of us at the core of our being, at the depth of our need, and really brings us closer to who you are and what you want to do in our lives. All for you, God. It's all from you, for you, to you, and through you. In Jesus' name, amen. His name was Aaron, and he was a seminary student in Chicago. And the school year was coming to a close, and he was looking for a ministerial internship position, either with a church or with some parachurch organization that he could have during the summer because he really wanted to be a part of ministry. He really wanted to be a part of a a significant ministry through the summer. Well, no internships were coming his way, and the summer was coming upon him, and he needed a summer job because he needed to make money. So he found a job driving a bus in the south side of Chicago. Now, unfortunately, his bus route went through some pretty shady places in Chicago, and 
there was a gang of teenagers that would get on his bus on a regular basis and they wouldn't pay the fee and they would sit on the bus and they would harass the passengers and Aaron really couldn't do anything about it. And this happened several mornings in a row and Aaron knew this is, this is getting serious. I need to do something. So one morning the same gang got on, they didn't pay the fee and Aaron noticed a police officer standing on the corner. So he got off the bus. He told the police officer what was going on. Police officer got on the bus and told the gang members either get off the bus or pay the fee. So they paid the fee. They stayed on the bus, but the police officer got off the bus. And that gang of kids stayed on that bus until Aaron's route was complete and everybody else was off the bus. And they dragged Aaron out of the bus into an alley and they beat him unconscious. He woke up in a pool of his own blood. Two teeth were missing. His eyes were swollen shut. And he made his way back to the depot and they gave him the weekend off. And we pick up the story here. It says, after returning to the terminal... And being given the weekend off, Aaron went to his little apartment, sank into his bed, and stared at the ceiling in disbelief. Resentful thoughts swarmed his mind. Confusion, anger, and disillusionment added fuel to the fire of his physical pain. He spent a fitful night wrestling with the Lord. How can this be? Where's God in all of this? I genuinely want to serve Him. I prayed for a ministry. I was willing to serve Him anywhere doing anything... And this is the thanks I get. I think we've all been there at some point in time and we'll probably get there again where we have put our best foot forward. We've done what we know to do. We've done the right thing and it blew up in our face. It just turned out badly. And we find ourselves in this place of emptiness and futility wondering, God, where are you? In all of this, and I believe this is where Simon Peter is in this story we were just looking at in Luke. I mean, Simon Peter has done what he's always known to do. He's a fisherman. He was out fishing all night and he'd fished in that same place at that same time so many times and had a catch. But this time, nothing. I mean, he went back empty handed and it was just a frustrating, futile attempt. And he finds himself just in in this place of just feeling like a failure, and he's lost really some of his confidence. And he's at a place where I refer to as the empty net syndrome. Or to say it another way, ENS, if you want to abbreviate it. What is this empty net syndrome? Or what is ENS? Well, here's my definition since I think I coined the phrase. Here it is. It's when the same amount of effort at life seems to yield less fulfillment in life. Or the same amount of effort at life seems to yield less fulfillment in life. That I'm, I'm living life at the same level, at least it feels like it. I'm, I'm living it with the same passion. I'm living it with the same amount of energy, the same amount of skill, the same amount of core values, but it just seems like it's coming back empty. It just doesn't seem like it's producing what it did before. It just, it just feels futile. I'm just kind of having this futile existence. And, and I, I feel very frustrated. I feel like I... I've just since to lost my sense of confidence. I'm just kind of stuck spinning my, my wheels. I'm in this empty net syndrome. And man, I need a shift. I need a transition. I need, I need to get to the flip side. I, I need a change, of course. Something needs to give way and change. And then we find ourselves in that place. But you know, it's interesting. Just in my own personal experience, in my own life, and so many people that I've talked with in my Uh, almost 30 years of pastoral ministry experience, people in counseling, there's a lot of us that we find ourselves in a place where we need to change, but we're not sure we want to change. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because change is uncertain. Change 
can be inconvenience. Change, I'm not sure where it's going to go. Change gets me out of my comfort zone. And we find ourselves in the need of it, but we're not sure we want it. And man, you talk about feeling stuck. You talk about feeling futile. You talk about feeling in a place of dilemma where you're just really spinning your wheels and you're in need of a flip side. And that's where Simon Peter was. He's in this flip side condition. How do we, what do we do when this ENS strikes our lives? Well, let's, let's sort of look at this story that Luke records and how it unfolds to, to deal with this. So we pick up in verse 1, if you want to go there with me, please, and it'll be on the screen. But this is what he says, uh, Luke says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, there's really two basic reasons that a boat is on shore and not in the water. One, it's because it's wrecked. Or two, it's because it's docked. Well, either way, the boat's useless. Boats are pretty much useless on shore. They're really only useful in the water. And maybe some of us, if we find ourselves kind of in this ENS place, we may feel like we're wrecked on shore in need of repair. Or maybe we feel like we're sort of docked on shore in need of a repurpose. Or maybe it's a combination of both. Can I say to you, just like Jesus Christ was on the seashore, understanding and seeing exactly where Simon Peter was and his frustration and his futility, he sees exactly where you and I are when we're in this condition. And he wants to step into our boat. And maybe today he's about to do that with you. And what I find interesting here is Jesus Christ did not ask Simon Peter if he could step into his boat. He just stepped in. And then he asked him, let's move out a little bit. I find that very interesting. Because you see, Jesus is a gentleman. And he's not going to violate our free will to choose to respond to him and to follow him. But boy, he's going to make it very difficult not to do so. He's going to step in and start pushing and prodding and poking and nudging us and saying, this is the way. You know what he wants to do? He wants to get into our comfort zone and make our comfort zone uncomfortable. So uncomfortable that we don't want to stay in our comfort zone. He wants to start creating the change that we need that perhaps we're not wanting to make. Now, he's not going to violate the will, but he is, man. He's going to, he's going to push and prod and push the buttons to create the discomfort to make the change. And maybe when ENS strikes, this is what's happening. Christ could be wanting to do something different. When it strikes into our lives, it could be that he's wanting to do something different in our lives. He's wanting to maybe give us a different perspective on things. You know, Simon Peter knew everything about boats. At least he thought he did. He grew up in a boat. He knew how to build a boat. He knew how to prepare a boat. He knew how to maintain a boat. I mean, he probably was literally birthed in a boat. This was his family business. This is what he knew. He knew everything about boats. At least he thought so. But I don't think anywhere on his radar screen did he ever envision that his boat would be used as a stage and a platform for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to be preaching the eternal truths of God from. I don't think that was ever anywhere in his mindset. And all of a sudden, he's seeing something very familiar to him that perhaps he has taken completely for granted that Jesus Christ has stepped in and made it very unfamiliar to him. I mean, giving him a whole new spin, a whole new perspective on something that he thought he knew everything about. 
And maybe that's some of the things he's wanting to do with us. Maybe, maybe with some of us, he's wanting to take some old talents and abilities that we thought weren't useful anymore and he wants to use them in new ways. Maybe, maybe he wants to even begin to develop new talents and abilities within us that we didn't even know we had, but he's wanting to begin to do something new and different. Maybe he's wanting to take some old dreams and goals that we had put on shore, that we had sort of washed up on the shore and felt like they were useless, and he wants to revitalize them. He wanted, maybe he wants to resurrect some new dreams and goals in us. Maybe he's birthing some new dreams and goals in some of us. Maybe he wants to help us look at some people in our lives in a different way. Maybe we got some folks stereotyped and we've got them labeled and we've got them pigeonholed. And maybe he's trying to step in and say, I want you to see these people in a new way. But you know, when he begins to start stepping into our lives in that place where we just feel like we're futile. Maybe it's about he's trying to do something different. He's trying to give us a different perspective because, you know, sometimes just a different perspective. Man, that changes things for us. He doesn't settle there with Simon Peter about just doing something different because he goes the next step. Look at verse four with me, please. It says, when he had finished speaking, Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, now Jesus has really gone from just kind of messing with him to meddling with him. Now, now he's really calling Simon Peter to make a real investment here. To make a sacrifice. This is going to cost Simon Peter something. You know, it's like the first ask. The first one of just moving out a little bit from shore. Lit in the shallow end. Let me teach. That wasn't that big of an ask for Simon Peter, evidently. Because Simon Peter doesn't put up. Am I all right? Do I need to take my coat off? Will that help? Not that they want to see my body, but maybe that'll help. You're in the dark, so I have no idea if you're shaking your head or not. But anyway, this is what I'm going to do. That's not helping. I'm not taking off my shirts. That's far as we're going. <laughs> All right. But here he's, he's asking Simon. Evidently, the first ask was not that big of an ask. That was within Simon Peter's tolerance level. Every one of us have a tolerance level. We can put up with anything for a short period of time. Absolutely. And I think maybe when Jesus said, let me just go out a little bit from shore and let me teach. Simon Peter's thinking, okay. Great. I can, you know, this guy's kind of interesting. He says some pretty good stuff. I've heard him before. Yeah, I can go out there for a little while, let him speak, you know, catch a few rays, sort of maybe rest from the all night vigil. And yeah, that's fine. He could tolerate that because it was just going to be short term. But this ask goes beyond his tolerance level because now he's saying, Simon Peter, I want you to put your boat back out there. And I want you to get your nets out that you've already cleaned. And it's going to take more men to come out there, which means you got to get more manpower. It's going to cost him more man hours. He's going to have to pay these people. And he didn't catch any fish. He may not have anything to pay them with. This is a greater ask of Simon Peter. I want you to put out into the deep water. And Maybe when ENS strikes, it's not about the Lord just wants to do something different. But maybe he wants to do something deeper. When ENS strikes, and perhaps it's not about just different, but maybe it's something deeper. There's a bigger ask that he's bringing into our lives. And that brings us to verse 5, because look what happens. Look at Simon Peter's response. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. 
But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Say this with me. But because you say so. Say that with me. But because you say so. This is the heart of the flip side. This is the heart of breaking through ENS. Coming to this place where we say, because you say so. I mean, Simon Peter looks at the Lord and says, Master. Now, that word master, is, it means somebody in position, someone in a position of authority, someone in a position of power, and to recognize them as master is to show that you acknowledge their position of power and authority and to respect that position of a power and authority. And that's what Simon Peter is doing. He's seeing Jesus as this sort of quasi-rabbi, quasi and he obviously has authority and has power, and he's respecting that. But he's also saying this. In between the lines, it's not, Luke didn't write this, but this is in between the lines what Simon Peter is saying. I, I respect you. You're a, you're a great rabbi and you, you've got some great things to say. You're a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing though. I know fishing. This is what I do. You don't go out here at this time, at this place. You won't catch anything. I'm not going to do this. This is not smart. But because you say so. I'll go do it. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I hated it when my parents said, because I said so. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you're a kid and you're making a great argument with your parents and you feel like you're winning the argument and they pull out the old, because I said so card. I hated that and vowed I would never as a parent ever utter those words from my mouth. And lo and behold, when I got two of those little rugrats of my own and they begin to have minds of their own and they begin to reason and argue and when they begin to win the argument, I felt myself defaulting to the parent gene that's with every one of us and I pulled out the I said so card and I heard my mouth say, because I said so. Sounded just like my parents. And I thought, oh my gosh, it works and I'm going to use it from now on. <laughs> I got to be careful. My mother's sitting right here on the second row. I'm 54, but she can still take me out. That's <laughs> I'm the one doing the preaching. I don't need any feedback. This is not open forum. I was 13 years old. And I'm no 13 year old. No, nobody ever needs to do this, especially 13 year olds. But I told my mother to shut up one time. She said, I think she said, I, I, because I said so. And I got tired of it. I said, shut up. The next thing I know, I was 18 graduating from high school. I was, <laughs> there's a five year gap that I cannot remember in my life. But it's interesting. It's not Jesus saying, because I said so. It's Simon Peter saying, because you said so. See, this, this is the crux of the matter. Because I believe with all my heart, one of the main reasons we find ourselves living less productive, futile lives than what we're designed to attend is because we tend to do a lot of life without Christ. I'm not saying we live unsaved or that we aren't saved and that we don't love the Lord. But so often in our daily lives, we're out on the water and he's on the seashore. And we're going through daily life without him often, without even acknowledging or recognizing or turning any of our attention to him. You know why? Because we think 
I know how to live daily life. I know how to do this boat. At the end of the day, we come home and we get in the bed and we go, wow, is this all there is? And I think we've got to come to a place more and more where it's about, you know, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. But because you say so. You know, I, Lord, I don't, I don't think that person deserves my forgiveness. I'm still hurt and I'm still angry. They, they did me wrong. I don't, I don't think they deserve it. But because you say so. I, what I said to that person, I believe I was in the right to say it. I believe they needed to hear it. And yeah, we're estranged, Lord. And I don't know that the relationship's ever going to get back together. But I tell you what, Lord, because... Because you say about seeking reconciliation, because you say so. Okay, that's what that's where I'm going. Lord, these people need to know how terrible that person is. They, they these people need to hear what they did to me. They need to know. I know they may not have any idea who that is, and it may not be any of their business. But I I need to let them know how terrible this person is. But because you talked about no, don't slander folks and don't gossip, but to pray. For those that hurt us. Because you say so. See that? See, I love it. Simon Peter's sitting there giving Lord all the excuses in the world. And I just see Jesus just sitting there looking at him. Just me, me nodding his head. And then finally Peter stops and Jesus is like, so what are you going to do? You going out? Or are you going back on shore? Simon Peter goes, because I respect you, because you're a position in power, and you're somebody of authority that I respect, I'm going to go do this. But I don't believe Simon Peter believed anything was going to happen. I believed he believed he was going to fail again. But then look at verse 6. Verse 6. When they had done so, when they had gone out, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. Oh my gosh, Simon Peter in all of his days growing up on that, on that, on that sea, being a fisherman in all his days, he had never seen a catch like this. So huge, they had to call the other boat to come out. The other boat helps them and it almost sank both boats. A record catch. Can I say to you, when you and I, regardless of how we feel, regardless of whether it makes sense or not, when we do what he says, that's the place we're going to have the greatest fulfillment and satisfaction and productivity of life. Beyond our dreams. I'm not saying he's going to make us all wealthy. What I am saying in terms of living, man, it's in this place of because you say so, that I have the potential of this kind of productivity in my life. But, but that's not even the whole point of it. Look what happens next. In verse 8, look what Simon says. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. Who? Lord, I am a sinful man. What did he call him before he went out? Master. What's he calling him now? Lord. Because you know what happened? Simon Peter saw Jesus for who he really was for the first time. He saw him. This is God in the flesh. This is the Messiah. He's the one. See, 
What Simon Peter got was a deeper revelation and insight and understanding into who his Lord was. And what he's saying here, he's saying, you're, you're not one to just be respected. You're the one to be worshipped and adored. You're not just one with some authority. You're one with all authority. You're not just one with some power. You're one with all the power. You're not somebody that I just need to have an acquaintance with to hear a few sound bites from. You are the one that I'm to devote my entire life to. See, that's, that's the place. The place of fulfilled, purposeful living is found in the place of the continual, deeper understanding and intimacy and communion with Christ. Maybe the thing in our place of futility is the Lord's wanting to use that to reveal himself to us in a deeper and grander way. See, Jesus is not an application that we download onto our cell phone that we, we turn to when all the other applications won't work. We go to the Jesus application. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the application. He is the cell phone. He's not an add-on. He is. That's what we sing about it a moment ago. Jesus be the center of my life. And maybe when this ENS is striking, if he wants to do something different, maybe he wants to go further and do something deeper, but maybe even further. When ENS strikes, maybe he's wanting to do something defining. I mean, a paradigm shift in us. It may be something transformational, something that that is a new launching point for our life. It's a it's a driving in the stake and the ground. It's a it's a new mile marker in our lives. It's it's a it's a brand new way of doing life. Perhaps is what he's trying to do. Because look what happens next in verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, "Go away from me, Lord! I'm a sinful man." That phrase, "I'm a sinful man," means a contemptible, corruptible. I'm a very flawed, failed man. That's what Simon Peter is saying. Now, look at this. He he sees this happen. He see, he falls at the knees of Jesus. Go away from me, Lord! Now he's not rejecting him as Christ. He's not rejecting him as the Messiah. What he's saying is, because I am so corruptible and contemptible and flawed and failed in my life. I don't deserve you in my boat. I'm not worthy to have you within any close proximity of me. I didn't believe you. I tried to resist you. I, I, I I tried to talk you out of it. And here it is, you're God, and I didn't see it, and I, you, I'm, I'm unworthy of you. I mean, he's feeling the, the, con, the, the, the conviction and the, and the guilt of his sin. <laughs> Look what happens next. For he and all his companions, verse 9, were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. James and John were brothers, and... They became followers of Christ. This is a very defining moment for them as well. James was the first martyr of the church. John wrote the book of John, the gospel of John. He wrote three epistles, first, second, third epistle. And uh, first, second, third John, and he wrote Revelation. These are defining moments for these gentlemen. But then look what happens. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Look at this. He, He is... He is bowed in this vulnerable, 
this, this state of guilt, the state of just his own condemnation. He, he is feeling this and he's saying, go away from me. I mean, he is ripe for God to take him out. He doesn't. What does he say? Don't be afraid. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to raise your life up. To a level you never dreamed possible. See the gods. Of many of the other religions. Would have struck him dead right there. Not the true and living God. Not the God who for love so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That ever believed in him would not perish. But have everlasting. Not, not that God. Not the God. Of all creation. He looks at this man who is broken. Who feels empty and totally wasted and futile. And says you don't be afraid. I've got great stuff in store for you. Simon Peter you're just not going to catch fish anymore. I want to be such an influence in and through your life. You think this catch of fish is amazing. You wait till you see the number of people. That I touch through you. It doesn't matter how wrecked I may feel on the seashore. It doesn't matter how useless I may be in need of repair. I may be in need of repurpose or both. He's the one to do it. And I don't care how much life has beaten you up. And I don't care how much the enemy Satan has coming against you and telling you you can't do it anymore. Or that's not going to work anymore. Or whatever it is. I want you to know you have a Lord and a Savior who walks where you walk. And he is there to get in your boat and to take you into places you never dreamed possible. If we will live by the way of because you say so. It's a whole new defining moment. Because let me tell you. The place of great purpose in life is when in the daily mundane routines of life, I acknowledge and recognize that he is Lord of who I am. And I see my life as being used of him to step into the boats of people who feel empty and futile and helping them see and know who this Jesus is. That's, oh, that's. Living life. I'm going to invite the band to come up. It's living in the place. Of because you say so. He, He may be wanting to do something different. He may be wanting to do something deeper. He may be wanting to do something defining. We don't know until we live by because you say so. I introduced you to Aaron when I started this message. The seminary student from Chicago. When we left him, he was laying in his bed angry with God. Trying to figure out why all this was happening when all he really ever wanted to do was just be a part of a significant ministry. Let's go back to the story. On Monday morning, Aaron decided to press charges against the gang. With the help of the officer who had encountered the gang and several who were willing to testify as witnesses against the thugs, most of them were rounded up and taken to the local county jail. Within a few days, there was a hearing before the judge. In walked Aaron and his attorney, plus the angry gang members who, were gla- who glared across the room in his direction. 
Suddenly, Aaron was seized with a whole new series of thoughts. Not bitter ones, but compassionate ones. Something different, a new perspective. His heart went out to the guys who had attacked him. Under the Spirit's control, he no longer hated them. He pitied them. They needed help, not more hate. What could he do? What could he say? Is something deeper happening here, maybe? Suddenly, after there had been a plea of guilty, Aaron, to the surprise of his attorney and everybody else in the courtroom, stood to his feet and requested permission to speak. Your Honor, I would like to... I would like for you, please, to total all the days of punishment against these men, all the time sentenced against them, and I request that you allow me to go to jail in their place. The judge didn't know whether to spit or wind his watch. Both attorneys were stunned as Aaron looked over at the gang members whose mouths and eyes were dropped open like saucers. Aaron smiled and said quietly, It's because I forgive you. Man, something deeper. The dumbfounded judge, when he reached a level of composure, said rather firmly, Young man, you're out of order. That sort of thing has never happened or, or been done before. <laughs> to which Aaron replied with genius insight, Oh, yes, it has, Your Honor. Yes, it has. It happened over 20 centuries ago when a man from Galilee paid the penalty that all mankind deserved. And for the next three or four minutes, without an interruption, he explained how Jesus Christ died on our behalf, proving God's love and forgiveness. The judge did not grant Aaron's request, but the young man visited the gang members in jail, led most of them to faith in Christ, and began a significant ministry to many others in the south side of Chicago. A large door of ministry, the very thing he prayed for, opened up to him. Through the pain and the abuse and assault, Aaron began to get a handle on what it meant to love and serve people. Because you say so. That's the place of the defining, deeper, different life in Christ. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment, if you would. I just want to take a moment to pray for those who would just want to be prayed for in the sense that you may find yourself in this place of empty net syndrome. You're, you find yourself struggling with some futility in your life, some emptiness, some just some frustrated levels of life. And, and you just want, you, you want prayer to simply say, Lord, I, I, want you to, I, I want to give you leeway. I want you to do whatever you need to do different or deeper or defining in me. I I want to live at the place, even in the midst of this futility, I want to live at the place of because you say so. But Pastor, I need prayer. I need prayer because I find myself in these kind of empty, stagnant places in my life. And I want prayer to live at the place of because you say so. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Mark, that's me. That's me. God bless you. God bless you. Can I ask you to take one next step? And I know this takes a little courage but I invite you to do so. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but just so we can specifically pray with you, you just raise your hand. Do you mind just standing right where you are? Just stand right there, right where you are. It's nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed about. Everybody gets in this place. We're all there. Just stand where you are because we just simply want to pray and believe with you. Now, if you're still seated, 
Do you mind just looking for a moment to see who might be standing near you? If you're a follower of Christ and, and your life is dedicated to the because you say so life, then I want you to get up if someone's close to you standing and just move to where they are and just put a hand on their shoulder or maybe take their hand. Let's just be a community body right now, just believing one with the other. If you see somebody nearby that's standing, I want to make sure everybody has somebody that's praying with them at some place of contact. And you know what? Maybe, maybe we've given the Lord all the excuses or maybe we've thrown up all the flares in terms of, I just don't understand. But maybe we just need to be at this place right now where we're simply saying, hey, you know what? Just because you say so. Because you say so. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, as we've gathered as a community, as we've gathered not to put anybody down, but we've gathered to lift one another up. We've gathered to pray for one another right now. We pray for those who had the courage and the faith to stand where they are right now. We don't totally understand all they're walking through. But man, we know that you do and that's all that matters. You're right there in their boat, whether they feel wrecked or whether they feel like they need to be repurposed and repair, whatever it is. God, we're asking now in the name of Jesus, you begin to minister to their hearts. You begin to speak right into their lives. Father, I pray right now you give them the faith by which to simply say, because you say so. Father, I pray that they hear clearly from you exactly the steps they need to take. Speak through them through your words. Speak through them from somebody they look up to that they respect that walks with you. Give them the direction. Father, I pray that they take that step they need to take. And I pray, God, in agreement with those around us. They're going to see a catch of fish in their lives that they never dreamed possible. There's going to be a sense of fulfillment and purpose that's going to rise to the top like they never ever believed could happen. It's a new day today, God. It's a defining moment right here, right now. You are the Lord. May our lives truly be lives of simply because you say so. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can you just put your hands together and give God praise?